Welcome to Warren Upstage, a podcast about all things theatrical in the city of Warren. I'm Lewis Kerman. In this episode, we speak with Greg Trascoma and Joe Colosi of the Warren Civic Theater about their upcoming production of SpongeBob, the musical, based on the hit Nickelodeon cartoon. Now, I have a confession. I know next to nothing about SpongeBob, the character, the premise, any of it. So this will get interesting. Now, consider that I've been paying attention to the Civic Theater since at least 2017, back when I started the podcast. I asked Greg if this was the first time that they had ever put on this production. Yes, uh, it's only recently available. And so um, uh, as soon as it became available, it got on our real short list of shows to do. And uh, coming out of pandemic, this is the the first full-blown giant summer show since 2019. So this is a fairly recent show altogether. Well, okay, that's fair enough. Let's uh, find out more about the production history. So uh, SpongeBob had, I want to say, and I don't know the, the, the dates exactly. I know it had an early Chicago run for a while, and then it had a, uh, a very brief Broadway run, which I think often happens with shows like this, uh, Seussical and a couple others, where they're, they're a lot of fun for families, but you, it's really hard to sell a $250 ticket to on Broadway. So this kind of fell into that that chasm of that. Unfortunately, it's got great music that a lot of people didn't get to hear, but it's one of those shows that makes it a perfect community theater show. Uh, high schools as well, but it's it's great because every song is written by some other famous person. So there's no one author. So there's a John Legend song in the show. There's a Cyndi Lauper song in the show. There's a uh, Plain White Tees have a song. Uh, half of Aerosmith wrote a song. Uh, uh, Sarah Bareilles wrote a love ballad for pirates to sing. It's it's a it's a crazy little thing when you listen to it and you go, why does this sound familiar? And you go, that's because this is all the trademarks of of that person. The late David Bowie. David Bowie has a song in it. There's a small rap section that they got Ti to write. So it's there's a whole crazy uh, every song from one of the next just outdoes itself in the terms of uh, of who wrote it. So the music is. Very catchy because they're written by pop stars who know how to write a catchy tune, and uh, yeah, the book is is very faithful to the the TV show. The beauty of it, I think, and I think this might be something that is going to be a little harder to overcome if you're not a SpongeBob fan or have no knowledge of it. You will still have a very good time. This is not a a, a reward for super fans only. Uh, it's, it has a lot of really cool, very oddly present themes given that it was written a decade ago or so. It has a lot to deal with, you know, being stuck in home all the time without being able to leave. It has uh, the, you know, international, uh, not international, but uh, outside threats that keep you from leaving. It has uh, the question of, of, of who really belongs where uh, with regards to a squirrel living under the water. Uh, it has all sorts of very weirdly present themes that weren't really, I guess, that present 10, 12 years ago when it was being written, but hits home eerily strange uh, in, in 2022. At this point in the talk, it was uh, time for my confession. I let the guys know what I don't know, which is, well, pretty much everything. I asked them to fill me in on the premise. Now, I, I know he's a sponge and he has a friend. What's his name again? It's a, uh, it's a Patrick Star. He's a starfish. Okay. He works at a fast food restaurant. and uh, And he loves it. And he loves it. He's a fry cook and dreams of being a manager one day, but it'll never happen. And the the 
Chum Bucket, which is the restaurant across the street run by Plankton, longs to steal the secret formula for the hamburgers they make over at the Krusty Krab. The Krabby Patty. The Krabby Patty. And that's pretty much the impetus of all of every episode. It's very almost classic Warner Brothers in that way where, you know, everybody's archetype is going to show up at some point. And they're all there in the musical too. They're kind of classic sitcom characters. Yeah. The naive but optimistic person at the center of it that that uh, <laughs> no matter what kind of terrible thing befalls them, they end up turning out okay. I'll do you one better, and, and this is yeah. going to upset you. What? This has all the tropes of Commedia dell'arte. It sure does, as, as does most animation. Yeah. So you've got your Harlequin <laughs> character, you've got your rich old man. Yep. You've got his, uh, his foil, you've got uh, the put-upon uh, uh, person uh, in Squidward. Yep. Yeah. The cynic, the optimist, the yep, yeah. Especially over the over the years, they've they've really been able to, in in the same way that really any successful animation has been able to do, and and to keep the thing moving forward and keep it from, you know, I mean, Simpsons has been on for thirty three years, thirty two years, yeah, and SpongeBob's been on for over twenty twenty yeah. some years, and there's there's a few animation houses and 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 certain production companies that have been able to keep the thing going. Sometimes they introduce new characters, but also there's 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 a big enough world of characters in there where it isn't just focusing on, oh man, we got seven people trapped on an island. Right. We gotta deal with one of these seven where there, there's 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 enough other stuff that can that can come in and out and we can focus on. Exactly. Okay, so again, I don't know anything about this show, when it started, if it's still going. Is it still running? I want to say, I think it may have maybe have gone, there are new episodes for sure, but I want to say there was a couple of years in the late uh, teens where I think it went out. I think it had properly ended like in 2017 or something like that, and it's possible that this musical gave it new life. I don't know. I think if you look at it, it's going to say it's been running constantly, but I think you'll find there's a couple of years where there were no new episodes. There are still new episodes, and they keep. They just made a new like movie. I want to say last year, twenty twenty one. I think they had a new theatrical movie. But the reason he wouldn't like it is, I think him and I's feelings on Commedia dell'arte differ. Oh God! I'm out of the loop on this. Joe knows a lot more about this than I do. Commedia dell'arte? No, I like the Commedia dell'arte. <laughs> according, according to Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge, uh, it debuted May first of nineteen ninety nine. And uh, it was on for at least 13 seasons, and there's new content that still keeps coming out. That's what I mean. So it's, it, it was never canceled, but in 20 yeah. years, there's been like 13 or 14 seasons. So there's, it takes some time off here and there. Okay. The other cool thing about this show is uh, just given the nature of everything going on in the world, in an emergency, this is a show that I think performs really well outdoors, given its kind of beach and under-the-sea themes and... Uh, how it does that. So if, if there was, because, you know, we plan our seasons, you know, months, if not a year in advance, and you never know what's going to happen, especially right now with things changing, you know, month to month, uh, there was always kind of a safety valve in the back of our head of, well, if we have to go do this out on the lawn at City Hall, this would translate pretty well, or at least make sense out in the heat. Whereas I think last summer we did Frozen, which was the antithesis of sitting out in the July sun, but maybe helped psychosomatically on some level. <laughs> and, that, and that was a make good. Yeah, no, for sure. That, for was, sure. A, that, that was a winter show. It, <laughs> right, it was intended to be initially. And then it was postponed 18 months. Before the guys came in to talk, I had learned that there is a stipulation about companies putting on this production, that there's a, a limit on what they can do for costuming. I ask about that. Quite the opposite. It's, 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 it's 
I wouldn't call it an issue so much, but there's every show that we do has got, there's a writer, there's a contract, and there's, here's the rules for this one. And for this one, the rules are we're not allowed to use the ready-made SpongeBob stuff. So we need to create our own stuff, um, which creates some cool challenges and opportunities. You can't go to Party City and get the absorbent yellow boy costume. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is what I'm sure it's probably called for and, licensing and, and, reasons. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like that old thing with Van Halen and their, uh, and, and their no brown M&M's rider. Right, but uh, I mean, some of these, some of these things that are deep in the contract. Uh, well, this one's not real deep in the contract. It's like right front and center. You can't do this. Um, but with every show, there's certain things like uh, uh, the kinds of sponsorship or advertising you can have in the program booklet. Uh, well, a lot of these uh, uh, companies, whether it's Nickelodeon or Disney or DreamWorks um, or Rogers and Hammerstein. For that family matter, uh, they've got a family-oriented image uh, to maintain, and there's stuff in the contract there regarding that kind of stuff that that you're not gonna have you're not malt gonna, liquor. So, you know, yeah, you're the, not gonna have the malt liquor the sponsor. Yeah. on on Beauty yeah. and the Beast. Yeah, and there's even other ones. I want to say I think Hairspray has a lot of writers regarding uh, uh, the which is good, but it, it was actually surprising given how long ago we did it. Uh, the the coloration of people, uh, meaning that you're not allowed to alter, like it has a very specific, no uh, lightening or darkening of skin tones uh, built into it. Uh, seeming seeing how there are characters that are very specific races and and, yeah, and yeah. ages and genders for that matter, uh, which is odd given that it's a it's a show with with a drag with a, with a man and drag at its at its lead. But it has a very specific. I think it even goes into detail of like it's not just a matter of no blackface. There's also no whiteface. There's no, and if you're if you're mixed, there's no you're you're not supposed to try and pick one and lean into it. It very specifically says that. And if you don't have a young African American man for this part, you cast who you have and you have to just deal with it. You can't. Uh, do anything to make him look more uh, like he's uh, written, which I think is great, yeah. uh, but it's a little sad that it needs to be spelled out. Yeah, that it's got to be in the yeah. contract. Um, but that would have been 12, 14 years ago when we did that, I think. So, I mean, that was kind of ahead of its time in some sense. Yeah. But for the, uh, go back to your question about the costumes. One of the other kind of things that are on there that's also on the rider is don't just steal the Broadway costumes either. So it's kind of a, a catch-22. So we've been looking at, okay, we, we know we can't do this, and we've seen what the best version of it supposedly looks like, and now we have to find something in between there. So we want to try and find something that isn't obviously second best or not as good, but something that's in that same vein. Uh, and in a lot of ways, the beauty of it for us is we have a cast of hundreds, uh, whereas a Broadway show is only going to have 20 people, maybe max 25. Uh, when you're paying, you know, every ensemble member, it becomes a, a bit of an issue to, to keep up any bigger than that. So we've got that ability to, to do that and to kind of build this world out in a way that you can't see on there. So to be able to do kind of all these new and original things, bring in, you know, to look at a 10 year old and go, what do you think a fish looks like? And to watch what they come back with and go, that's nothing any of us would have ever come up with, and that's amazing. Uh, it's so far, it's been working really well. We've done a fair amount of underwater productions, surprisingly, <laughs> between uh, a couple of versions of Little Mermaid, and I'm trying to think what else we've done. There was something else that. Oh, I'm sure. Was, was there anything in Once on This Island? Yeah, Once on This Island. So, uh, and, if, and if it's not underwater, at least it's. 
yeah, a, a tropically an oceanside set. Yeah, so we've been we've been looking at how do we incorporate some of that without just pulling a bunch of old costumes out uh, and still reimagining it. But the beauty of it is the cast. You get to look at it and go, okay, this is who they had there. We have the luxury of taking Gary the snail, uh, a fan favorite from the show, and instead of it being the prop that it is in the show, it's a six-year-old kid. Uh, which is a lot more fun to see what they bring to it and what they do to it. And then you, that's more fun costume-wise as well because there is no costume to base it on, to, to, to not base it on, and you kind of get to go from scratch on that. And then there's uh, any number of other ones, but you can kind of look at some of the old renderings. We're looking at some of those online and stuff that they wanted to do in Nixed. Sometimes those are fun inspirations to be able to pull from. But uh, just kind of using your imagination and going, hey, how do you make uh, claws for a crab? Well, he owns a restaurant. Wouldn't oven mitts make the most sense? And we, we you know, somehow the Broadway show doesn't do that, <laughs> which seems like an odd, like like an obvious opportunity that's maybe missed. The opera. Yeah, maybe they use they use oversized boxing gloves, <laughs> which is an interesting choice. But it looks cool and it works. Uh, and when you're sitting, you know, 700 feet away, it reads better. But we don't have that issue either. Yeah, we're only 12 or 13 rows deep. <laughs> the underwater sequence in Susical, Miguel gets pulled. Yeah, there we go. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shows we've done that have some underwater theme in the past. Yeah. So it was, it was a challenge to find a way to not just pull, because at first I think Katie was a little disappointed and went, we've been underwater so much. And I went, no, no, we're not just going to pull everything out. You get to actually make stuff. And she got real excited after that. I think she thought this was going to be a just pull some stuff out of storage show. And I think she was excited having been off pretty much for the last couple of years. I think she was really excited to jump back in and do something big. So. It does have some cool stuff. Squidward has four legs, so she's working on the, uh, she built full armature for that, I think. Like, it's a fully articulated, she, I was looking at it under the thing and it has like kneecaps and ankles and the whole, the whole thing. So it's, it's a really cool setup. Uh, so that'll be fun to see as well. Okay, so this is a, a new show for the theater. So I asked the guys, how does this compare to past shows? Are there more people? Are there fewer? We've got a lot of people. We've got, right now, I think it's still in the in the 170 range, I believe, is where we're at right now. And we've got a ton, pretty much all of the principal roles are double cast. That's a longstanding tradition at the theater, but it's also becoming a much more popular trend in general, uh, both professionally and uh, in the local and amateur, just because of how people need to bow out tech week because they need to quarantine for five days or 10 days. So this idea of instead of having an understudy, having a second person who's just as equipped, ready to go. Uh, I'm sure if you've been following anything on Broadway, you've been hearing a lot about all the understudies, the swings, the the uh, standbys, all these different people that you really never heard anything about that are, you know, these are people that have never sung solo in their life that are getting leads in Broadway musicals all of a sudden for two days because that's the that's the nature of, of of it right now so this works out really well helps to rehearse summer is a tough time to rehearse people are on vacation people want to sit by the pool people uh are doing whatever they need to do they stay an extra day up north sometimes they go up north and stay an extra couple of days uh could be anything like that uh so it is nice to have it so that you can always do something generally uh with those people there so we've got that uh we've got from all over town we've got definitely some folks from warren we have people from all over the tri-county area honestly i think macomb township is as far away as that which is far from me but yeah we know we got one guy driving down from lake orion yeah lake orion so there's there's all sorts and, of people i don't know if there's any 
I mean, I don't know how familiar anyone's going to be with the WCT superstars, but there's <laughs> definitely a lot of people that have done plenty of shows in the past. And there was a really nice turnout of people we've never met before, uh, which is always nice whenever you pull out a new title or something that just isn't often produced. As far as I'm concerned, this is going to only be like the second or third production yeah. that I know locally. And uh, I, it's got to be the biggest one. I would <laughs> at least think. locally. Um, so it is nice. It pulled out a lot of people that you you wouldn't, and it calls for performers that are very specific. As we talked about, there's uh, there's a rap segment. So all of a sudden you're auditioning people and you're going, all right, we have to stop singing. And now we have to see who can rap a little bit because that's a different skill set. Um, and because you're doing such iconic characters and iconic things, you kind of have to take a break and going, all right, great. You can all sing and dance well. Who can talk like SpongeBob? Who can talk like Patrick? Who, you know, there's a certain amount of that. And maybe not do an impression, but at least give us that feeling of it without it being, you know, being hindered by by doing a, an impression, but just embodying that, 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 uh, that the vibe that the character is. So really fortunate the way it worked out. Uh, I don't know that, I think if any one of the people that have one of our principal, role, principal roles didn't show up, I think the whole thing would have shook out differently just because I, I don't know how you would have pasted that all together. But it has music that is new, a lot of new music. So there actually is a lot of songs from the show, a couple of songs from the show. Uh, the theme song obviously makes an appearance. Uh, Best Day Ever is one of the more popular songs from the show that, that shows up in the musical. Uh, and then with all this original music, I think Joanna would tell you this is probably one of the tougher ones to teach because no one knows it. And if they do know it, they know it from just singing along to the radio or their iPod or whatever. They've never been taught it. When you bring people in to do Beauty and the Beast or Music Man or something like that, chances are they've they've heard enough recordings or they've been in a production of it before where they go, yeah, yeah, I know the harmony here. Whereas these are brand new to most of the folks. Yeah, and they're brand new songs for most of the folks and they're all written by different people. So they're in different musical styles and different, there's surprising things happening in each of the songs in a in a different way, where if you're in a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, you kind of... After two songs, get what's going you, on. You get the vibe <laughs> of it, you get the spirit of the thing, you get the, the groove of it, and yeah, this is kind of how this one goes. And whether, whether you've been uh, listening to the cast recording on repeat for 15 or 20 years, and right. you know the songs by heart when you show up at the first rehearsal, right? or you're just coming to it new, Stylistically, it's the same thing throughout, but with this, it's like, okay, here's how this four minutes of it and then we're gonna goes this way. Completely. And now everybody turn left and turn upside down. We're going to do a country song and written it, by Lady A now for no reason. Yeah, it's, so, so musically, it's challenging, and and, and movement-wise, it's, it's challenging because each of these different things is. And it kind of calls for a lot of smaller groups too. So yeah. it's it's there are plenty of huge ensemble numbers where there are all 170 folks are out there, but there are some of these scenes where it's like this is really just in you know we've got a big tap number uh, in a song written by they might be giants. Uh, so there's a, a big tap number and that features you know eight people. Well, that's hard to teach when you've got a room full of 160 people not doing anything. So scheduling in general becomes difficult. But yeah, it's all very new. It's, you know, no one's ever done this in their tap recital six years ago and has an idea of how it goes. This is, and honestly, one of the problems we've been running into is there are 11 different versions of every song. So uh, there's, you know, the cast album, there's the version we're doing, which seems to be the one no one can find. Uh, there's uh, the that one version they did on Good Morning America seven years ago. They're listening to that and they're coming in and going, well, the lyrics are different. I go, yeah, the, the, it's been changed and updated and refined. All this stuff's and, on YouTube. Yeah. 
And so, so you yeah. start looking at all the various versions of it and the choreographer pulls out and goes, all right, I think this is the closest. And then she does it and then we go, nope, there's eight more bars in that actually. <laughs> she goes, all right, all right, I'll fix it, I'll fix it. Uh, or all of a sudden the music director comes in and goes, oh, they're actually singing during this <laughs> as well. So we have to maybe tone that down. So it's, 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 a, it's, it's a fun on our end, but it can be a little uh, anxiety ridden as you start going through it going, there's no like, it's a new uh, recipe we're trying to cook. Yeah, there's no primary <laughs> file to be able to go, this yeah. is the, the the way we do it. So uh, we've come up with a pretty solid method, which is before we choreograph anything, we sing it through yeah. and record it, and that's the track we choreograph to. <laughs> and the first thing that goes on most of those cast recordings is they lift out the dance break because nobody wants to listen to three minutes of music on a cast recording. So they just leave that out. So you start going, oh, there's no, there is no dance in this. And you go, oh no, there is a dance in this. And then the music director goes, no, it's right. Like the notes are correct. The music is incorrect, but the notes are all correct. So then there's a, a little bit of a, a disconnect between going, yeah, no, you can practice singing to this. Just know that at one point you won't be singing for two and a half minutes while something else happens. And then you're going to come right back in with this as it's written. So it can be a little tricky to, to figure out what version we're doing. Well, in, in terms of who's in this thing, we've got uh, a few generations of families and we've got parents and kids doing the show. We've got a couple of parents who brought their kids to the auditions and then went, wait, I can be in this too? Okay, I'm in, deal me in. And as That's it normally it. <laughs> happens, there's always the one dad that is there with his daughter who is just there to help and then went, all right, I'll audition. And then he ends up with a part because we're always low on guys. <laughs> so that's always, <laughs> that's always a fun one. Uh, one of the things that's really fun for me in this show, especially since we haven't done a lot of big shows in the last couple of years, but also uh, 2010, I think, was the origination or the creation of uh, the Warren Civic Theater Youth and Teen Program. And the amount of eight and 10 year olds that got started in that program that are now in college doing the shows still is really cool. Yeah. There's at least, I think I can count at least on, on one hand, the number of people that are that I remember their first show, you know, uh, when they were eight years old and now they're 18 or 20. Uh, people that were, you know, real little kids, whether they were in the chorus. I mean, I think one of our Sandys, who's arguably the, the female lead of the show, uh, got her first show ever was Beauty and the Beast Jr., where she played Chip uh, back in 2011, I think. Like and now that. she goes to U of M for theater. So they're little weird little things that can kind of change your life, but it's really cool to see them there and to see these people that haven't been able to do the youth and teen shows for a few years. One of our Squidwards is 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 doing a really nice in, the, in local areas and things like that, working in improv sets and things like that. Uh, I think uh, one of the Patricks was uh, uh, Charlie Bucket when he was eight years old and we did Willy Wonka and now he's a co you know now he's a high school graduate and and, and going on. So it's really cool to be able to track that. Uh, one of the SpongeBob's was the little boy from Mary Poppins seven or eight years ago yeah. when we did it. Uh, just to see that, you know, you, you forget that you go, oh yeah, you were 12. Oh, okay, it's been eight years, you're 20 now. <laughs> That's a, it's hard to track when you don't see them every day or even every couple of weeks even. Yeah. So that's been really fulfilling to me is to see people that I, even that I specifically directed when they were like wee children. <laughs> Uh, and to see them now as teenagers and, and early 20s and, and really just killing it, really just doing really well and, and to be able to say, that's really cool to track that trajectory. That's uh, pretty cool. I wondered what obstacles the, this particular production faced. 
Our return to rehearsing at an alternate location from the theater has created some uh, some challenges for actors who are unfamiliar with that. It used to be that was the model, right? That we'd rehearse at the the now disappeared Ridgewood, Ridgewood Rec Center, and then we would move the show into the performance space the week of the show. And uh, for a number of years, we had the luxury of rehearsing the plays in our performance space. And uh, now we're back to um, uh, having our own headquarters at Owen Jack's Rec Center. And we rehearse there basically in a gym at the Rec Center. And uh, uh, some of the actors uh, and uh, dancers and other artists involved are, are experiencing a, a I'm trying to think of the word you just used a second ago. Anxiety? Yeah, a little bit of an anxiety a, in terms of uh, a, uh, faith. There's a, yeah, there's a faith that, that's there. And you just have to, to trust that I know that there will be a platform there. You're going to have to just take my word for it. And I know I've put a piece of tape on the ground and it doesn't have the same three-dimensionality that you would like it to have. But you can figure it out. And when I, even when I see them, sometimes I'll be looking at them going, well, half of these people are not on stage right now the way they're standing, but I know they will be. Like, it's, there's no sense in making you get it pitch perfect in the gymnasium. Yeah. When there's a curtain there, they'll know. To stand on the other side of it. Yeah. When there's a, she's on the, the edge of the stage. Well, how will I know where the edge of the stage is? <laughs> well, when you're in the theater, you'll be on <laughs> the be, stage and you'll know where it ends. There's a sharp four-foot <laughs> drop. Spatial awareness. Yes, you'll know. <laughs> well, right now you just, but but there's a, there's a certain kind of artist that wants to practice it exactly this is the how way it's going to be. Going to be. Is this how it's going to be is, 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 is one of my taglines. Is this how it's going to be? Is this, how, is this what it's going to be like? No, it's not going to be like that, but we'll see when we actually get in there. But we're, we're just trying to get it close and we'll have to adapt. But being able to rehearse in the performance space is a luxury that the vast majority of theater artists don't have. That, that most of the time you're rehearsing in some rehearsal hall uh, whether it's in another part of the building, across a campus, uh, or it, in another part of the country, across town or, or uh, some other place. All through college, yeah. We and, got into uh, the theater just that tech week, and that was it. Yeah, it, We were it, in the rehearsal hall up until that time. I know that's how yeah. they do it with most of the professional things. Some of the other community stages, when you have the smaller productions, and maybe have some of that luxury to rehearse there. But even then, you see them sometimes they're out singing in the lobby because you have to rehearse multiple ways. And commonly, the theater's being used for something else. Right. There's already a show in that space, and uh, you're working on the next show in some, some other space that it'll be close, but... Or best case scenario, you're rehearsing on someone else's set. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, while they come back Thursday, Friday to do shows on it. Wait, is this couch in our show? <laughs> no, no, and do not sit on it. <laughs> and, and you'll be able to dance in that spot, but right now, there's a well. <laughs> <laughs> well, this sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Warren Civic Theater performs SpongeBob the Musical on August 5th, 6th, and 7th. Tickets are available online through the website, warrencivic.org. The Friday and Sunday shows are 7 p.m. and the Saturday show is 2 p.m. Also, in case you're interested in getting involved, whether it's directing, doing costumes or scenery or just moving flats, send them an email at warrencivictheater. That's T-R-E at gmail.com. Special thanks to Greg and Joe for taking the time and to the cast and crew. Break a leg. Warren Upstage is a production of My Warren. 
This episode was written, produced, and edited by your host, Lewis Kerman. That's me. To hear more of our podcasts, be sure to check out mywarren.org. That's M-I-Warren.org. Thanks for listening.